Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back to the Servants of Grace Theology segment. On today's show, one of our listeners writes in, and they have a great question. And the question is this. How should we read Revelation? This is a really, really good question. Revelation opens with a prologue, a body, and an epilogue. The prologue and the epilogue are linked by an angel sent to show the servant of the Lord what must soon take place. Revelation gives a blessing on those who read and keep the prophecy. And John's self-identification and the designation of God as Alpha and Omega. Now, the body of Revelation, it contains four series of seven messages or even visions, letters to the churches, seals on a scroll, trumpets, and bowls of wrath. Now, Revelation moves from things that are the seven churches to things that are to take place after this, climaxing and the enemies of God being destroyed and the church presented as the Lamb's bride in the new heaven and new earth. In Revelation 12, uh, John portrays a dragon's defeat in its desire to destroy the child of the heavenly woman, followed by her flight for safety into the wilderness. Revelation 12, 7-17, it describes the dragon's defeat in its desire to accuse Christians, followed by the heavenly woman's flight for safety in the wilderness. Earlier visions sometimes portray later events, and later visions describe earlier conditions. Revelation 6, uh, 12 through 17 shows the shaking of the earth and the sky so that the stars are cast to earth by a great wind. In Revelation 7, John explains that the angels restrain the winds of woe until the people of God are sealed. Now later, John sees the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the sky, and only partially darkened. The principle of repetition or recapitulation is given to elaborate on God's purposes and confirm their certainty as seen in Scripture. Now, in Revelation, recapitulation, it means that the order in which John received visions does not necessarily indicate the order of the events they symbolize. So, let's talk briefly about some keys to reading Revelation correctly. You see, when we come to the book of Revelation, we come right to one of the hardest, if not the hardest, book of the Bible to read and interpret. The key to reading Revelation is to have a consistent understanding and application of hermeneutics. Now, hermeneutics, right, is the art and the science of biblical interpretation. A normal hermeneutic means that unless the Bible passage under consideration indicates that the author was using figurative language, it needs to be interpreted normally. In other words, Bible readers are not to look for some hidden meaning other than the natural meaning of the sentence, nor are they to spiritualize Scripture uh, to assign meanings that aren't there. The clarity of Scripture teaches us that all of Scripture is given by God and therefore sufficient and authoritative for the people of God. Now, when applied to our hermeneutic, what this means is that the meaning of the biblical text is to un be understood as it is written normally. Revelation is full of colorful descriptions of visions which proclaim the last day before the return of Christ and the ushering in of the new heavens and the new earth. The book of Revelation is full of prophecies that find their fulfillment about the end times rooted in the Old Testament. 
In fact, the mention of the Antichrist mentioned in Daniel 9.27 is developed fully in Revelation. Other examples of, the, of this include uh, Daniel 7-12, through 12, Isaiah 24-27, through 27, Ezekiel 37-41, through 41, Zechariah 9-14, through 14, which contains prophecies that find their fulfillment in Revelation. Now, John uses the technique of symbolism from the start of his letter to the end of Revelation. Instead of portraying characters and events directly, John describes them indirectly using symbols. And this is important. Jesus is described as a lamb, and churches are represented as lamps on a lampstand, and Satan is pictured as a dragon with seven heads and ten horns. Now, these symbols are sometimes familiar and sometimes original and strange. And whenever a work of literature presents many symbols instead of realistic details, readers should recognize the technique of symbolic reality. And this is really important, meaning that as they enter the work in their imagination, information is presented primarily through symbols. Now, the book of Revelation is one of the most sustained examples of symbolic reality in existence today. And so the main interpretive question is what the symbols refer to. In many cases, historical background studies can help in understanding how symbols were understandable to John's audience. But one cannot go wrong by relating the strange symbolic details from familiar New Testament images uh, in the in the in the of the end times, excuse me, including the falling, moral degeneration, cataclysmic natural and military disasters, tribulation, including the persecution of Christians, the second coming of Jesus the millennium, the intermediate and final judgments, the final dissolution of the earth, the glorification of Christians in heaven. Now, in John's Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Christian stops at the interpreter's house to be shown a number of visions designed to teach important spiritual lessons. First was a picture of a man looking to heaven and holding a book, wearing a crown, and pleading with men to listen. The meaning was that Christians should look only to faithful and holy Bible teachers. Second, he was shown a large parlor filled with dust. A man came to sweep, but the dust merely flew around the room. And then a girl came and sprinkled the room with water, after which the room was easily swept clean. This vision illustrated how the, how the broom of the law cannot clean the heart until it's been sprinkled with the water of the gospel. And further visions illustrate a variety of spiritual lessons important to the Christian life. The reader of Pilgrim's Progress realizes that Bunyan is presenting allegories because of the way in which uh, he names his characters. The man who witnessed the gospel is called Evangelist. The pilgrim is Christian. He is led astray by pliable and obstinate, and he receives his vision in the house of the man interpreter. Now, Revelation is not an allegory like Pilgrim's Progress, but a book of end times visions. Still, Bunyan's masterpiece, Revelation, functions in a way that, that cues how we should read it. And from the very beginning, Revelation um, employs symbols to depict redemptive historical realities. For example, in chapter 1, Jesus appears amid the golden candlesticks that represent the churches, holding stars in his hand that symbolize angels. And with, two, the, with a two-edged sword coming from his mouth, that depicts the sharpness of his message. And now we're clearly to interpret these images symbolically. And the same is true with John's use of numbers, including seven to depict the completeness of the Holy Spirit and 144,000 to describe the vast multitude of the redeemed drawn from the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of Christ. 
And so in interpreting the detailed visions of Revelations 11, 12, and 13, we need to remember the kind of literature we are reading. And some Christians assert that we must interpret these passages literally as, as giving a more or less straightforward description of historical events, either past or future. Well, you see, the nature of Revelation urges Bible readers to interpret these visions symbolically, just as the very nature of Pilgrim's Progress compels them to interpret John Bunyan allegorically. The book of Revelation unveils a spiritual war in which the Church of Jesus Christ is engaged in a cosmic conflict between God and his Christ and Satan and his evil allies, dem demonic and human. And in this conflict, the Lamb of God, Jesus, has already won the decisive victory do its finished and sufficient work. The church continues today to be assaulted by Satan the dragon in its death throes through persecution, false teaching, and the allure of material affluence and cultural approval. John reveals the spiritual realities lying behind the church's trials and temptations during the time between Christ's first and second comings. And he also affirms the, the certainty of triumph of Christ and the new heavens and the new earth, those visions which both warn the church and fortify it to endure suffering and to purify it from defiling enticements of the present world order. Well, in 1685, the French king Louise uh, XIV re revoked the Edict of Nantes, which had guaranteed religious freedom to the French Protestants known as the Huguenots. And thousands of Christians were slaughtered in barbaric ways. And in parts of France, the Reformed Church was eradicated. Well, you see, Louis had, had ordered this persecution to force the Protestants into returning their allegiance to Roman Catholicism, bringing peace to the kingdom. However, the ruthless persecution embittered the Protestant nations around him, into which thousands of Huguenots fled. Now, Louis spent the rest of his life mired in warfare and died bitter and worn out in seven, uh, 17, or, yes, 1715. And, and before that century was over, Louis' kingdom would be bloodily savaged by the French Revolution. Now, during that same century, the nation of England, which had harbored so many Huguenots, experienced a floundering of the gospel and the ministries of John Wesley and George Whitfield. The monarchies of those nations that rejected the gospel have disappeared. Meanwhile, blessed by the gospel they cherished and the persecuted church they secured, Britain and Holland's royal houses remain to this day. This record from church history reflects the vision of Revelation 11, which is widely regarded as one of the most difficult passages in the whole book. However, this difficulty is largely removed if we remember that Revelation is a visionary picture book rather than a literal narrative of future events. Revelation 11 gives a stirring depiction of the church bearing testimony during the age of the gospel through its biblical symbols. The vision provides one of the most potent descriptions of the church's mightiness and its witness and the violence of the world's warfare against the gospel. It concludes by depicting the witness of a resurrected Christ by the power of God to the great consternation and despair of the opposing world. Now, Revelation contains a compelling message of faithfulness to Christ and the spiritual war against Satan and sin as the people of God wait for the second coming of Christ. The death and resurrection of Jesus changed the course of the history of the world, and the return of Jesus will bring about as dramatic of a change in the history of man. And when Jesus returns, he will destroy all of his enemies with the word out of his mouth and then establish his kingdom with the new Jerusalem. You see, history is not moving willy-nilly in the mind of God. History is moving forward to the glorious conclusion of Christ returning and establishing his kingdom forever and ever. 
And Revelation, it tells the story of the return of Christ, and it's vital for Christians to read and study so they may grow in their understanding of the person of the work and work of Christ, excuse me, and the end of history. I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.